What a sci-fi Saturday night. Oh, that's right. I, um, listen, and this is good. Thank you for having me on. This is Adam West and AdamWest.com. Don't forget that. AdamWest.com, we have so many goodies for you. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you can be so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. In 2019, all Area 51 recordings of Sci-Fi Saturday Night have been enhanced with not only multivitamins, but more than seven essential audio nutrients to help augment your listening experience. Tonight in episode 407, oh my God, we look forward with great excitement to listening to people talk. Interesting, you say? Perhaps. Candy Floss for the years, most certainly. On board for tonight's podcast, our own prodigious prestidigitator of protons and electrons, sitting in at the Sci-Fi Saturday Night Gaming Console and Help Desk, it's Kriana. Kriana, I, I just want to say, this may be the third or fourth straight show that we've heard the ghost of Adam West. Uh, we could probably retire him for a while at this point. Thank you, dear. Reference librarian to robots and other non-human sentience with their newest degree in crypto numismatics. Please join me in welcoming Cyborg University's preeminent reference librarian with an inch of standing water wherever she goes. It's Zombrarian. So sometimes you just try to install a pool at the library. (laughs) Sometimes it doesn't work and you have to move all of the books out of the library in two days. You didn't really just have to move them out of the library. You just had to move them up to a second floor. It's true. I had to move them one floor up, but still. One floor at a time. One book at a time. And no, one cart worth at a time, because I am I am super strong. Ah. Uh, so it was it was a a oh wet time at the old library? You could say that. Okay. It was exactly as awful as it sounds. <laughs> no, that's just water under the bridge, right? Well, it's water under the stairs right now. <laughs> and me, I'm just your host, a man with the dream of free-range sushi. They call me the Dome. Tonight, uh, we're calling tonight's podcast Third Time's the Charm, uh, in large part because We have tried to get this duo on the show three separate times. This is the third time. We're hoping that it actually works. We're pleased to have with us today the creative duo behind the book, Alvin Baylor Lives, author Maximilian Gray and audio stylist Josh Horowitz. Guys, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. 
we're finally uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and everybody's kind of okay. Nobody's yeah. at 100%, but <laughs> we're hoping for the best at this point. Um, I want to start um, by reading a little bit from your official biographies, uh, with or, which are both pithy and scary at the same time. Uh, Max, I'd like to start with yours if I can. Okay. Maximilian Gray is a film industry professional, author, and aficionado of genre fiction. I kind of like that phrase, aficionado of genre fiction. He pitched his first science fiction television show to Hollywood execs as a 13-year-old writer. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> uh, he's worked in various capacities for Roger Corman, James Cameron, Technicolor, Discovery Communications, Walt Disney Studios, and Netflix. He currently holds no degree and has dropped out of college on three occasions, first time at the age of 14. However, he did graduate from the West Coast Private Investigator Academy with high honors, so he can tail your car and bug your house. Alvin Baylor Lives is his first novel. Max, let's let's talk a little bit about your your background because you your bio says you pitched your first science fiction TV show at the age of thirteen. It does. How um, is this actually? How is this possible? No, um, no, I'm sure it's possible. How is it true? Uh, I, growing up in the L.A. area, uh, my father was an agent, a talent agent, so um, I had an opportunity. You know, the family friends were people who worked in the industry, and uh, it was actually it was a Thanksgiving, and uh, I was talking to a guy who was a writer, director of uh, TV movies and some features, and he was telling me about an idea that he had um, with a cyborg, and I sort of spun some ideas back at him, and he really dug what I was coming up with, and so we... I think I was 13, and I'm not sure. He must have been in his early 40s, and we started collaborating on a on a pilot. Um, and so, obviously, it was mostly through his connections that we went around town uh, pitching the show. Uh, but it was it was a trip because you know you would walk in, and and they wouldn't necessarily know that one of the writers was going to be 13. So uh, <laughs> when I would walk into the room, there would be a, a little bit of a reaction. So it it, it was fun. Um, I got as far as uh, a deal with one company, but uh, at the time it was, I think it was 1990, 91. Um, the, the budgets weren't, weren't what they are today. Um, and it was, it was considered far too expensive uh, to get to a series order, but uh, it, was, it was definitely a cool experience, kind of showed me I could play in that realm. And Alvin Baylor Lives is your first novel. That's correct, yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about from pitching a TV show at 13 to working in many different areas of, of the industry, how you got back to writing a book and why. Where did Alvin Baylor Lives come from? Um, I think, you know, I, I took a circuitous route and I, I started to go into engineering. Um, uh, which you may see echoes of in Alvin Baylor Lives. Um, when I started, uh, you know, through my through my teen years, I kind of I was making short films and doing that sort of thing. And I I always stayed in this continuum of wanting to be a writer or a director or a producer. Um, and as I got older into my career, I just found that I gravitated, at least in terms of ease, uh, making money doing the engineering stuff. 
and I got distracted for a long time. Um, so a lot of my, you know, a lot of those companies I mentioned, I was basically doing post-production engineering for the studios and things like that. And I was working at this one uh, place, uh, I was working for Discovery. They had a channel called The Hub that was co-branded with Hasbro. They had My Little Pony and uh, G.I. Joe Transformers. And uh, when I was there working with those guys, I was situated very close to the, um, the writer-producers who did all the promotion stuff. And I think it was the first time in a long time that I'd been surrounded by uh, creative folks who weren't of the engineering sort. And so it sort of scratched that itch again. And I felt like, hey, you know, I, I've always wanted to, you know, tell stories and I haven't pursued that as much. And with the rise of self-publishing, I just saw an opportunity uh, to sort of go ahead and do it on my own and, and uh, put it out there without anybody being able to say no or, or change it. Okay, uh, well, where, where did this story come from? You, you, oh, conceptually? Conceptually, you've come up with a very interesting story that flips from extreme dystopia to what I'm assuming in book two is a utopian paradise, or at least the beginning of one, uh, right. with, with all the, the problems that come with both. But uh, where, yeah. where, where did this come from? Uh, you know, I mean, I think... Uh... One of my I can influences I can talk about like one of my favorite books. It's going to be a weird reference is uh, Albert Camus' The Stranger, um, and it's it's sort of a book about a protagonist who doesn't quite know what he wants, but sort of discovers what he wants uh, by being put in a bad situation. And I just I guess I had this desire to marry the 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 high with the low, if you will, like to write this sort of. Um, character study, this exploration of philosophy, but laid against a big um, science fiction backdrop. You know, I've obviously, like everybody else, a fan of Star Wars and Star Trek and big shared universes. And so I kind of wanted to build that. I, the, the very first idea, I think, was actually um, a scene from sort of the end of the book um, without giving, trying to give much away, where the male and the female protagonist had an interaction and, and she was sort of taking something from him that he was in charge of. And it, it really began with visuals in my mind. And I think I had that first scene towards the end at the climax, probably 11 years before I even started to write the book. Oh, well. And I, I, I have, you know, I have a file of notes for stories and things like that. So I had that in there. And uh, at some point it just started to, to pull together. I just, something about, I, you know, I was sitting around, I was reading a lot of uh, technology uh, blogs and things and just seeing how much of what we dreamt of was becoming reality. And I, you know, I wanted to put that together with a, with a person and, and sort of how does, how does the technology, um, as technology evolves, how does that change the culture? Um, so it was, a, I guess it was a lot of those different things. Um, and I've, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of pulps and old science fiction, um, things like Asimov and Clark and I like Robert E. Howard and so I kind of wanted to write something that felt old but new, um, just, you know, the old type of adventure, but skinned and, and more mature. Um, You've created an interesting universe here that, that has kind of a Douglas Adams-ish <laughs> feel to it in that it gives a, a whole level of a sardonic, dark future 
where there's a 1% and the 99% that's, that plays very well with today's audience mm-hmm. in, in, in that it shows uh, how, how different the, the ultra-rich are, how they run uh, from behind, and how this, this poor schmuck in the beginning, <laughs> Alvin Baylor, uh, who is literally used by every single character at one point or another. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you, you, at, at one point, about three quarters of the way through it, you feel so bad for this guy, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, almost miraculously, the universe turns on its axis. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved that long, long con setup. Right. It was wonderful. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to. I think um, one of the and things I'm that I. It's so hard not to give anything away right now. Yeah, I know. That's I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to choose my words because I because I mask so much of what's going on in it. Um, you know. Uh, one of the things that's important to me, you know, uh, is I don't necessarily want to know exactly where it's going. You, you want to know what you've been, what you, what kind of adventure to some extent you're going on, but you don't want to see everything uh, obviously up front um, coming. And so I tried to, you know, put you in the main character's shoes by, you know, using that dramatic tension between what he didn't know and what was going on around him. But at the same time, hold some things out so you as a reader didn't quite know exactly how it all fit together uh, either. And I, I wanted it to have a sense of pacing that was more deliberate. And then at a certain point, you know, the shit hit the fan and everything started uh, uh, happening as quickly as possible. That, the last quarter of the book certainly fulfills that prophecy beautifully. Uh, now, now, I have to tell you, uh, before I bring Josh in, that... I read the book first, mm-hmm. and then I did the audiobook. Oh, good. Oh, this should be interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and at this point, I want to bring in the guy who did the audiobook, uh, Josh Horowitz. Uh, Josh was born and raised in L.A., has appeared in various commercials, TV shows, motion pictures as a child actor. And I honestly confused him with another Josh Horowitz yes. when we first <laughs> met two weeks ago. Yeah, uh, I'm at the MTV. Not even <laughs> uh, Josh has done podcasting, a co-hosted two uh, movie by minutes podcast, uh, acted and wrote in old time radio style podcast, and um, has been narrating audio books for Audible and Penguin Random House. And the the odd thing is, is you guys grew up together. Yeah. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah, we actually went to uh, junior, high, junior school high, and high school and high school. Uh, we both live in the LA area, and it just so happened that uh, after probably I don't know about ten years of kind of being out of touch, yeah. uh, I, I had mentioned on Facebook about some of the different audiobooks that I've been working on, and I didn't even know that Max was a writer. I mean, we we kind of stayed in touch here and there, but. Uh, we had a, a shared love of Star Wars, and you know, we used to hang out, play a lot of video games and stuff. But we, then we had a sci-fi club in uh, in high school. That's right. <laughs> so we did. <laughs> Somewhere that we're gonna have to find Bring that. Bringing the skeletons out of the closet now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, are you still in touch with some of the people from uh, from that sci-fi club back in high school? Uh, just the only person I think is is Rob. Yeah, yeah one still, other person. Yeah, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but uh, yeah, just kind of out of the blue, then I get a, a contact from Max, and he mentions to me that he was working on this pretty long sci-fi novel, and wanted to know if I'd be interested in narrating it, and I thought that was really cool because most of the times when I do my audiobook narrations. It's through Audible, through ACX. It's stuff where you kind of just audition for it, and occasionally some people will contact you. But it's pretty rare that the author happens to be in the same city, let alone <laughs> the same. Someone you like know. 10 minutes, and then somebody you know, certainly. School, yeah. 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 Uh, so I, I had a chance to, to, to read some of the book at first. Uh, you know, we had a, a talk, kind of just kind of discussed what the expectations were going to be for this type of a uh, big project and it was a big project this was actually the the longest uh, finished audiobook i've done to date i think it it just hits about 10 hours can i say it may be one of the longest audiobooks i've ever put myself through oh. that, that, I, that i wasn't aware of i mean i didn't realize when i first said okay i've got the time let's do this that i was going to have to invest 10 hours of it uh, well hopefully it wasn't too painful make it sound like it was an ordeal and I'm going to change your mind about how I felt about that very shortly. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but no, it was incredibly long. Yeah. I, I mean, I've heard some really long ones, like 30 plus hours for whoa, some of these, these unabridged thousand page, like Ken Follett novel stuff. But, but 10 is a significant investment, not only just to listen to, but to do. I mean, I, I probably, it probably took me over, over 60 hours, I think a combination of recording, editing, mastering, and, and tweaks, and we'll and talk about the tweaks. Dealing with my That's comment. terrifying. Because <laughs> it really I just, is. I just survived listening to It by Stephen King. Uh-huh. It's a 45-hour audiobook. So yeah. now I'm trying to imagine how long that took them. Yeah. Well, the, the nice thing when when you're listening to one of those, I mean, that's probably done in a professional studio, probably something like Penguin Random House, where the narrator just shows up and... I mean, to do 40 hours, I mean, that's that's going to be probably about two weeks of recording at least. But then they have editing people that take care of that, and you have a director and everything. And that that's the way to go. For for this, I was the narrator. I was the editor. I was the masterer and the, and the director when uh, Max wasn't there to direct. And that, that was one of the neat things that we actually did with this project. Generally, I self-direct because they're not around. Uh, but I, I actually had... Uh, Max come in at least on one occasion to listen to me do the recording and actually give me some real-time feedback. Uh, at other times, though, we we took a, a bit of a different approach where I would submit each chapter and then Max would have a chance to listen to it and then get back to me with any significant changes. And any things that were significant, I'm glad that we did that early because when you record these books, you try to have consistency with how the character sounds. And for a character like Alvin Baylor, it's it's important to get it because, I mean, if you start going, you know, 10, 20 chapters in and you're kind of voicing it in a way that just doesn't work, now you have to go back and record it all again. And uh, I, I will admit that there were some voices this time around that I, I have an original version that you do not hear in the final version. <laughs> we had to go back and, and make some changes. But overall, I'm very pleased with the final result and hopefully you guys liked it too. Now, one of the things about an audiobook 
especially a fictional audiobook, is that there are two ways that, that you can attack it. One is, I'm reading it, and mm -hmm. that's what's going to happen. I'm going to read. And the <laughs> other way is, is to go the extreme other end and is have seven, eight, or nine voice actors each doing a different part of it, and it becomes almost like a radio drama. Mm -hmm. And you, Josh, got in the middle of that. Yeah. And um, made some real decisions about uh, when they were on comm, for example, mm -hmm. you filtered it so it sounded like you were talking uh, through a radio. Uh, and you made sure uh, that certain voices had certain inflections that stayed constant through the 10 hours. Right. What did you decide that that was the way to go with this? I, th I think, you know, um, I, I, I wanted to go in that direction. And uh, part, of, part of the reason what, working with Josh was so great is because I know him, we have a shorthand creatively, so we could talk about character voices and performance. And it wasn't just a sort of, you know, thing where somebody was recording and then I'd have a bunch of notes and they'd be like, who is this guy? I think he is. <laughs> um, so I, I think the interest in it came for me primarily from Star Wars audiobooks, mm. um, you know. And the radio drama too. And, right? Yeah, and yeah. radio dramas. I just, I, I find that if you can, if you can throw some characterization into the voices, if you can throw some sound effects, in the case of Star Wars, if you have recognizable sound effects in music, I, I just think it amps up the experience. And, I, you know, my personal experience with audiobooks is usually sitting in, you know, the 405 in traffic and, yep. you know, your your mind drifts. And if somebody's got an accent that you remember, your head can pop right back and, and you know where you are when you're listening. Yeah, doing different voices is something that I really enjoy doing when I do my audiobooks. It kind of reminds me of just being an actor. You know, you you don't just read it straight. You actually have, uh, you know, a different way of presenting the characters, both male and female. And it was important in this one, especially because there were so many different characters. There must have been at least thirty. Yeah, there's. And one of the things that I asked Max when we started the project was to list out all the characters and give me a good sense of sort of how you want them to sound. I mean, I, I did some interpretation of my own, certainly. But uh, you know, we, we had that sort of as a as a basis to go by. Yeah, like small that, small. That's something that doesn't usually happen though with audiobooks, um, because in, in talking to a lot of authors who have had audiobooks done of their work, mm -hmm. they basically audition three or four voices, uh, approve one, and then they get back the package. Uh, for there to be the constant. Uh, collaboration between the two of you is fairly rare for an audiobook, isn't it? Well, I, I think it's it's kind of a mix. I mean, there are some audiobooks out there where they'll get, especially if there's like long passages uh, from a male and a female, they'll they'll get more than one narrator to do it. Uh, my favorite audiobooks are the ones where it's done by one narrator and they can just do some great voices and it really draws you in. Some of the stuff that, like, if you ever listened to the Harry Potter novels as they were done as audiobooks. They're excellent. Yeah. The guy who does that, uh, John Lee, I think is, is the guy's name. He's really good at that. Uh, Scott Brick is excellent at, at you know being able to present you know, so many different types of novels. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, I just felt, I'm going to try to present it that way, and hopefully people will like it. 
Yeah, and I, I think I think part of the reason why we could we could do that is because we have known each other for so long, and because in the past we you know worked on a screenplay together, or or just the experience we've had. Josh used to be uh, uh, lead the game, lead our Star Wars role playing games, and, and <laughs> write right. <laughs> you know the opening crawls on the TV screen, <laughs> scrolling. So we we just we we know each other. So it's not like I I think the difficulty sometimes when you go into that, especially if you're asking somebody to do more than what their profession usually requires, is well, who are you? And in this case, I'm a guy who he knows, and and we trust each other. So I think that that made it possible for us to sort of play more than uh, maybe people normally get to do. Now, the one thing that we do in this novel that is a little bit different than some of the other audiobooks out there is the use of modulated sound effects and filters that happen on the voices. Mm -hmm. And I've heard kind of back and forth, some people, they, they absolutely love it when you know you actually hear it sound like a cell phone or sound like it's coming from a radio intercom. And then there are the purists out there who think, well, you know, that's just a distraction. I just want to hear it, you know, straight and normal. For this one, I think we were both fans of like the Star Wars radio drama. And we we both had an appreciation for being able to sort of add those sound effects to the voice. And I think another aspect, because this book deals sometimes with uh, points of views that are maybe from camera views and things mm -hmm. like that, some of the spatial relationships between characters are sometimes unusual. And I felt that uh, the audio effects sort of help establish that when you have, say, somebody who's sitting in a small spaceship talking to two individuals who are outside in, in their own space suits. Yeah. Or somebody to think locked in his room in, uh, in a planet where there's a riot going on, trying right. to talk to somebody else in another room who's exactly. also locked in his room. Exactly, yeah. yeah. What, what was your thought? I'm curious to find out, because uh, you, you've had a chance to read the book and hear the audiobook. What, what was your thought on that? It was brilliant. I liked absolutely it. loved it. And here's why. Um, I'm a fan of old radio drama. Mm -hmm. my, favorite, my favorite radio drama is probably one that nobody's ever heard of called Sorry, Wrong Number. I've heard of that. Yeah. Which was, which was, you know, I know what you did last summer. It was, you know, uh, look out. It's the guy behind you on the phone. It was it had all that stuff. And it was like three voices. And that was it. Huh. And it was wonderful because it relied more on sound and, and spatial effects in in a very similar way to what you guys have done here. Um, and I don't think, and this is just my opinion, that it would have worked had it been a straight read. Hmm. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that that was my thinking. I mean, one of the I, you you used the word sardonic in describing it, which is actually how I think I described uh, the narration to Josh early on. Mm. There's there's a subtlety to the to the humor in it, and that comes across in some of the characters as well. And I think that could have gotten lost uh, depending on the narration as well. Actually, to talk about that, I, I remember early on in the project that I had. Red, I think the, the first line in the book is something like 90 million miles from Earth, John Padre yawned. And I, I think I just read it straight <laughs> the first time that I did it. Yeah. And then Max pointed out to me, he's like, oh, you know, just this kind of sets the tone of the whole book that it's this kind of wry, sardonic wit. And yeah. so then I, I knew I had to read it, you know, like 90 million miles from Earth, John Padre yawned. You know, it's like it's no big deal that he's so far away, yet it's crazy that he is. It was... Uh, from my point of view, the type of audiobook that was 
correct for the style of the actual book. And I, it was a really pleasant sensation to the very one of the very first scenes in the book is when he's getting ready to leave work to go on vacation. Mm. And uh, there's there's a situation with some of the higher ups wanting to play with some of the technology. And they know how they're doing. They know what to do because I programmed it. Right. <laughs> and, and that whole scene, as I'm reading it, I'm going, this is going to sound great or just play very flat one or the other. And it did not play flat. <laughs> Was that based on something that happened at your own work at one time? <laughs> I, you know, I, I think I think any engineer has the experience of dealing with higher ups, not knowing exactly why you do things. <laughs> <laughs> Can't imagine how that might happen. <laughs> so, I, I, I'm, I'm, my feeling is that you guys are generally pleased with the outcome of the first book, both in print and and audio. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, if if anything, uh, I'd want to go bigger with the audio production a little bit, um, but. Uh, you got to start small, I think, and and scale out. And this was pretty ambitious for um, for a first audio recording. Yeah, I know Max wanted us to have full <laughs> sound effects throughout the entire ten hours. I yeah, my, <laughs> my mind was going to like in two thousand and one, Stanley Kubrick cut the room tone out to make it feel like you're. And I was like, can you do that in an audiobook? What can I? <laughs> I mean, it's, well, it's maybe funny. You can, but not this time. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just just to give a sense of, of what's involved in that one, I, I actually did another audio book uh, that I did incorporate, not, not just filtration and stuff, but actual sound effects and gunshots and stuff. That one was called The Angel of Death's Abyss, a World War II novel that was, uh, I don't know, about two and a half hours finished. And I figured that was a, a small enough you know, type of work where I could go back and, and get different types of gunshots and reloading and, and screams and blood and gore and everything. Uh, I mean, that, that still took a long time to get for two and a half hours. And so I, I knew for a 10 finished hour, we would go with modulation and that would be hopefully there. If we ever decide to do a podcast where it's uh, like the radio drama version of Alvin Baylor lives, maybe we could consider doing it with the sound effects. Cause I, I do, I did have some ideas for it. I think it would have been really neat, but just so much work. That, that might be something fun to do for the next one is really broaden it out as a full on uh, like radio show. A radio show. Leads hmm. me to my next question. Uh -huh. The next one, because you did Max a masterful job of closing up the story and leaving it wide open. <laughs> Thank you. Um, because I want to know a crap load of stuff right now. Okay. And I can't say a word about it because it gives <laughs> everything. But son of a bitch, I want to know a lot of shit right now <laughs> that you yeah, just stopped short of. Yeah, it's you know what I what I wanted to do to give you a sense of where it might go scope wise. I always thought of uh, I I enjoy the small scope of the Hobbit and then how the Lord of the Rings kind of opens up and I wanted to introduce you to a character and then uh, a difficult character and spend spend a whole book with him so that you would have a good understanding of him and then open it up. So the only thing I could say is 
expect that it will get a little larger in scope and there will definitely be some more spiritual stuff and and an opportunity to explain some of what was left unexplained about uh, how devices work and mm -hmm. and uh, some of some of the uh, of Rinsler's the uh, you know the scientists some of his uh, uh, background will be filled in as well. I ended up at the end of the book with some serious questions about who was actually dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's. Uh, I, I know the answer, <laughs> and uh, I and you're not to... going to give it away on the air. I can't. Uh, no, I can't do no. that. I want. I wanted to give a satisfying. You know, like it, it was difficult to sort of find the right place to cut it off. Um, but as I said, I, I kind of consider it a character study. So in a sense, it's it's Alvin's journey to a certain point, um, and then setting the stage for a, a conflict and and for uh, you know changes that are going to happen in the world as far as who lives and who dies and who might still be alive or who, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you, you'll just have to wait, I guess, for the next one to find out. Well, well Alvin Baylor lives. <laughs> See what well, I did there? <laughs> clearly, that part, at least to the beginning of the next story, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Can you reveal what, what the title potentially would be for the next book? I, you know, I have some working titles for it. Um, I've got one really long, crazy title, and I don't know if it, should I dare I reveal a title I may not use. Yeah, that's up to you. Um, well, always reveal stuff you're not going to use. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's a mouthful. Uh, Alvin Baylor, uh, captive of the quantum underworld. Mm. The <laughs> quantum underworld. It sounds very Buckaroo Banzai-esque. Yeah, it? I'm trying to keep it really big and uh, you know silly, silly in that <laughs> in that George Lucas Phantom Menace title kind of way. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I, okay. Um, in all honesty, look, I, you know, I got the book, I got the pitch from you guys, I got the book, and I just kind of give a book maybe 30 pages, and at that point, I'm pretty sure I know whether or not I want to finish it or not. I was at page, I think, 110 or 120, and then I kind of looked at it and went, oh, I'm that far? Oh. Well, I'm not stopping now. <laughs> mm. um, for the listeners out there, it's available on Amazon. The audio is available on Audible, uh, where all good audio should be. Mm. And um, it's a fun book. It's a long read. It's a it's a good read. It's a fun book. And if you like audio books, it's a great 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 sounding, fun, listening to audiobook. Our guests tonight have been Max Gray and Josh Horowitz. The book is called Alvin Baylor Lives, and it's wonderful to have you guys here. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you very much. And now it's to be the end of the Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, 
now on onlinebarnes.com. On my computer, the audiobook is now available on Google. I'm sure actually look behind it and believe it. Provided by Problems. More of his amazing stuff, just look at problemsonline.com. Check out his hot I swear to God, it's a hot sauce there. Our outcome is provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their grooves can be found on Lawrence Made Congratulations, Noah Parker. Many thanks from the Peabody Time Tunnel, the sweetheart of the for Brianna, and the words of thank you. This is Don't Say, Terry and Jeannie, Jared Venus Lesson, Jared Joy and Thus, Judah, the toxic stays, enjoy the games. I know.